Mortality and the Detention Class. I learnt about mortality in school when our first grade teacher went crazy. Of course, for at least a decade after the war, World War II, life everywhere was a little crazy. Just like the before and after Covid, we were all trying to find a new normal. Even being the product of divorced parents was a rarity, and with mother marrying on the rebound so quickly, it left me a little bewildered on many issues a seven-year-old would ace in today's world. Whereas religion had played a fairly large part of my early years in a Catholic school, I now found my new stepfather was an atheist, who apparently had been formally married to a screwy Baptist, who was also a new age educationist. Their 17-year-old son had run off to be a Mooney, and 15-year-old daughter was currently a Quaker, although she would change her religion as often as her frock. Just to provide a little normality, I was now enrolled in a standard Church of England primary state school. Even though teachers and schools were still scarce, they continued to be used as a form of childminding, with preschoolers sitting cross-legged on the floor in front of the big first graders, where you shut up and listen. It worked very well, as we all managed to learn to read through some form of osmosis. A is for at. B, B is for bat. C, C is for cat. D is for... Although we didn't get around to the writing bit for quite a while, as there was never enough paper or pencils to... nor anywhere to lean on, though we did become adept at using each other's backs. By now, I was totally confused with all this religion stuff. I had often been chastised in the Catholic Church for devoutly referring to Mary Magdalene, Mother of God. Now, I was told off for referring to all the teachers as Sister and Brother. Please, Sister. Please, Miss Jones. Uh, please, Miss Jones, can I... May I? Please, Miss Jones, can I, may I be excused? I want to go ever so bad. In addition to that, I was a left-hander, which apparently was also a crime and proved that I was a handmaiden of Satan. Either way, I seemed to spend a good many hours in detention, which was often preferable to going home, as with mother working, I was a latchkey kid. With rooms still scarce, all the detention miscreants had to stand in the corridor during recess, where we all became champion marble players. Yay, bullseye! That wasn't... Yes, it was! It was... You chased... Theoretically, a troubled war veteran by name of Mr. Williams was in charge of us during these times. He had been an ambulance officer working mostly at the front of military action. And now, in the green belt of Surrey, ten years later, he was reliving it all again. Trauma counselling was totally unknown. It was a matter of... Physician heal thyself, which he did by spending the detention periods telling us over and over ad nauseum of all the horrors he had experienced in numerous battles at the varying fronts between 1942 and 1944. We learned in graphic detail all the wounds encountered by men in battle and the rate and reason for them dying. He told of the operations performed without anaesthetic 
and how makeshift limbs were used to replace those amputated. He explained the way to detect venereal disease and the effect of rodents and insects biting into open wounds. This was my time to shine, as I too could tell of an earlier experience, a year or so previously, when, playing pirates and treasure hunting on a bomb site, I had found an old army boot with a foot still inside it. My dramatic and enthusiastic storytelling of this event was received with appropriate... And I enjoyed a brief spell of bonding with the troubled teacher, as well as a little classroom notoriety. However, Mr. William's stories soon overtook mine, particularly as he was becoming excessively explicit and began acting out the various scenarios accompanied by large shouts, screams and moaning auditory effects. He would often run around the school grounds, hiding behind walls and trees as if being chased leaving us seven-year-olds wide-eyed with equal fervour and excitement. One day, he told of a time when, having been discharged as an invalid, he had been directed to work in a small village near Somerset, which was undertaking highly secretive war work. Apparently, no one in the village knew what was being made inside the big shed that had been built right next to the railway line, which would only stop in the middle of the night. The dismissal bell went before he could go on any further, leaving eight little children refusing to go home until they knew what was inside the shed. With minds full of bogeymen, aliens and monsters, we were initially disappointed the next day to learn that it was a warehouse stacked high full of coffins awaiting the next big battle. What was so scary about that, we wondered. In retrospect, there was no escaping the ponderous nature of Mr. Williams' stories, and we became indoctrinated with phrases such as It was a catastrophe. A catastrophe of wasted lives. Only the good die young. This had a strong impact on all of us, so we met one Saturday afternoon in Richmond Park to begin planning our own funerals, which we felt were imminent as we were all unquestionably young and, by our own consideration, had all been good. This was confirmed as everyone agreed they had received Christmas presents, unquestionable proof of goodness. The following Monday, lunch period, we all waited patiently for Mr. Williams, and when it was obvious he was not going to show, thought it prudent to tell one of the teachers. A good while later, there was a tremendous commotion from outside, with lots of wailing and screaming. Then, feet running up and down corridors. A rumour went around that Mr. Williams was to be seen hanging from the railings of the top floor, but we weren't allowed to go outside and look on the grounds that it was raining and we would all bring mud back into the school. A short while later, there was the unmistakable sound of an ambulance drawing up outside and we were all told that everything would be explained next morning in assembly. It wasn't. And other than the fact that the detention group was now put into the charge of a prefect, everything went on as normal. However, as she was also an errant Catholic, she gave her version that Mr. Williams had been 
gathered into the bosom of the Virgin Mary to be with Jesus. Which got some of the older boys tittering because everybody knew that bosom was a naughty word and there was a bit of doubt hovering around the word virgin too. When we got to recess, we discussed this further and came to the conclusion that Mr. Williams must have gone to work as a foreman or something like that with grown-up Jesus as his right-hand man. I had many arguments about this. What if, I asked, Mr. Williams was left-handed like me? We couldn't remember if he was or not so eventually moved on. This now brought on an interesting discussion as many of us had family and friends who had also gone to be with Jesus. I tried to undermine this perception because having attended Jewish shul for a time, I knew that Jesus really didn't exist. However, when I went to Catholic school, I had learned that Mary was boss lady when it came to confessing sins, which was often confirmed by non-Catholics when they cried, Mary, Mother of God, when anything unusual happened. Not only that, but as Grandma Emmy Vi had stated specifically that my grandfather had gone up to heaven to be with God. According to my seven-year-old logic, even if Jesus did exist, God was his father, so must outrank him. And Mary, being God's mother, confirmed that she was indeed boss and far outranked even the head prefect. So there. Marbles now took a back seat to religious philosophy, especially when we pooled our collective knowledge and found that we all had family or friends who had gone to heaven to be with Jesus. And for a while, the detention class became obsessed with dying. We soon convinced each other that as it was common knowledge that only the good die young and we were all such paragons of virtue, we must reconcile to a fairly short lifespan. Although due to my constancy in the detention class, I was not totally sold on that foregone conclusion, which did please me a little. Apparently, making out a will and testament was a valid requirement associated with dying. So one Saturday afternoon, we all rode bikes to the Tadpole Pond in Richmond Park and gathered beneath a particularly large oak tree to exchange our last will and testaments. We had a formal ceremony where we handed over our treasures. In my case, it was a month-old copy of Dandy, an all-day gobstopper, pre-sucked up to the mauve bit, and a Thropney bus ticket that I insisted was still valid as it hadn't got a punch mark on it. Then each of us signed a piece of paper with personal details of our precise age. That is... I'm six and a half. Well, I'm six and three quarters. Well, I'm nearly seven. You're not, I am so. And our wills, which in hindsight was more like a tontine death pact. Last man standing gets the goodies. Everything was put into a biscuit tin. We dug a portion of what was to us a very big hole and buried our treasure. Then we stood to attention while we sang the first verse of the national anthem. God save our gracious King, long live our noble King, God save our
Then we planted a small union jack to mark the spot. Having solemnly shaken hands, we all went home for supper. A couple of days later, I went to check on the spot, but could not remember which tree we had used as a marker, as someone had obviously taken our union jack. On attempting to try a few digs to find it, I was waved on by one of the very authoritative gamekeepers, who informed me in a bellowing voice, What, what are you doing? Don't you know this park belongs to the King of England? Piss off! While this information meant that I did not have nerve to make any subsequent attempts to find the time capsule, I was intrigued at the thought that the King of England may be walking past at any time, looking over his property. I knew from storybooks that kings often had handsome princes for sons, and was pretty keen on the idea of marrying one and living happily ever after. However, on inquiry, I found the best our present king had done was to father two daughters, so immediately lost interest. To my knowledge, the time capsule could still be there. You have been listening to Mortality and the Detention Class, written, read and produced by Brianda Cross. If you have enjoyed this story, you may care to give us a review on your favourite podcast platform and even listen to our pod blog series, Good Day from Oz, on Anchor FM. Thank you.